for October 28th, 2013. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 278. The Star Wars trilogy isn't over until the Yub Nub song is sung. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matt Rather, and I'm here with the panel. In a minute, we'll be joined by special guest Zach Giolongo, uh, who is the writer and illustrator of Shadows of Endor, which is a Star Wars uh, Ewoks comic book. Um, and uh, we're going to have a conversation about Star Wars, about Ewoks, about uh, making comics for Dark Horse and for Lucasfilm, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Um, before we get to that, though, panel, question of the week for you. This is, uh, this is kind of a sad week. There have been a couple of, of deaths recently. Uh, today, as we record this, the death of, of Lou Reed has been widely reported and even more widely Facebooked. Uh, and that is sad, and may he rest in peace. But also uh, the death earlier this week of Marsha Wallace, who voiced Mrs. Krabappel uh, on Simpsons, and um, uh, also, I think, was on the Bob Newhart show and had a uh, great career in entertainment uh, herself. So um, in honor of Mrs. Krabappel and in honor of the great work of Marsha Wallace on The Simpsons, uh, panel, your question this week, who was your fourth-grade teacher? And uh, tell us something interesting about them. First in the alphabet, if his internet uh, bandwidth holds out, we are very honored to be joined by Matthew Belinky. All right, here's the deal. I've been trying to... <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought it was a bit. This. I thought that was a bit. <laughs> that, that, that was a stick? No, no, no. It, it legitimately did. Uh, one of those days. But... I've been trying to figure out an answer to this question. I have a, a blank about my third and fourth grade uh, teachers. Uh, first grade, Mrs. Walker. Second grade, Mrs. Inc. Fifth grade, Mr. Del Negro. I don't know where I, I was in some secret government training program and that I learned all sorts of uh, hopefully, I, I don't know what it was, either code breaking or counter espionage or some sort of Ender's Game style combat. And I was, you know, hypnotized to forget all this. And at some point in my life, somebody is going to utter a, 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 a trigger phrase and it's all my fourth grade teachers going to come back to me and it's going to turn out to be Harris. Do you remember what you learned be, in fourth grade? I, I mean, could, could we go at it from a point of view of like association? Do you have any memories of fourth grade? You would have been what? Nine years old. Um, yeah, you know what? I, I, I think what I learned in fourth grade, to, to bring it full circle, was all the lyrics to the, the song uh, Trouble, which was on the songs uh, songs in the Key of Springfield album. <laughs> um, and I memorized <laughs> Matt, are, Matt, rather, are um, you trying and, and to was, activate Belinky's like, secret terrorist mission? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Let's stop this. Let's. Yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. try so deeply into this black hole. Uh, scalded into my frontal cortex, but no, uh, I I remember. I, I feel like I was there. I feel like, um, but I, I whoever taught me clearly made so much of an impression on me. I had to black them out because otherwise I wouldn't be able to continue with my. Yeah, well, that is that is dark. Okay, well then let's uh, let's move on. Bad answer, from, let's move on from there. Pete Fenzel, you're next in the alphabet. Uh, sure, sure. So my fourth grade teacher was Mrs. Cousy. And Mrs. Cousy, uh, who's you know still with us as far as I know, I haven't of course seen her in a long time, we don't hang out. Um, but uh, she had a couple of pretty strong reputations among the fourth grade teachers. One of them was being tough. She was very tough. Uh, we, we did a lot of work. Um, she was very proper. Uh, and she was very composed. Uh, I know that she dressed very well, and I I'd actually have been. I don't think it was during that year, but I think at some point afterward, I had the occasion to visit her home, and it was very, very nice and well put together. The biggest thing that differentiated Mrs. Cousy from the other fourth grade teachers was she had a really outsized segment of the year that was dedicated to the study of ancient Egypt. Uh, to the point where we would select roles in the ancient Egyptian kind of professional case sort of social class structure, and we would have an Egypt parade of just our fourth grade class through our public high school uh, in our sort of shitty tuniky togas, or not togas, obviously, but tunics, um, 
you know, learning to write hieroglyphics, your name in hieroglyphics, sort of phonetically with eagles and baskets and whatnot. Uh, I remember choosing to be a scribe. So I had a little scroll. I had a little piece of paper rolled up with a string around it. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, I think that was the thing that really set Mrs. Cousy apart uh, kind of in practice. And I remember at the time feeling like it was to be somewhat put upon. And I don't mean this in any sort of you know disrespect, but at the time it felt like you were kind of getting a bad draw if you drew Mrs. Cousy as your teacher. But in retrospect, I feel like it was very much the best draw because it was the teacher that I felt like pushed me especially hard. And you did the most interesting stuff, even if it was stuff that required extra work and perhaps perhaps part of my own uh, sort of inboard tendency towards pedantry was fed and nurtured uh, during this particular uh, stage of my stage of my education. So I'm grateful for my fourth grade. So, and yeah, absolutely. Perhaps we have Mrs. Cousy to thank for your uh, extraordinary prowess as an overthinker. It's possible. It certainly prompted me to pay a lot of attention to detail to a bunch of things I would not have otherwise have cared about. It so probably <laughs> doesn't. Oh, it probably doesn't. No, 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 no. We have Ewoks to do. We have Ewoks to do. <laughs> okay. You're right. Sorry. Moving right along. Mark Lee, you are next in the alphabet. Hey, hey, so I don't remember who my fourth grade teacher is, but I'm going to fall back to third grade because that's what we got. We're going to war with the army we uh, we have, not the army we want. Um, and that'll become relevant in a moment. I'll tell you why. Because um, the thing I most remember about my third grade teacher is that her husband uh, fought in Operation Desert Storm. It's like the first time that we went to war with Iraq, you know, the time that we won more than the last time that we sort of won. Um, but uh, what what I think is, is interesting about this is, uh, and this I'm going to tie this to uh, both what I the 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 Iraq the second Iraq War joke that I made at the beginning, as well as our topic about uh, the Ewok graphic novel, I'm gonna tie all this together with this. Um, when I was young, when I was in the third grade, um, you know the world was very simple. Um, you know we were the good guys. Uh, you know we were the Rebel Alliance, the Ewoks. They were the Kuwaitis and the the stormtroopers, the Galactic Empire. Those were the Iraqis, and we kicked their butts. Um, and then uh, now, you know, in our sort of uh, post nine eleven world with the uh, murky geopolitical conflict lines and things like that, things are a little bit different. I look at the you know an Endor and think, oh, maybe the Galactic Empire, maybe that's us. You know, and maybe on um, on Endor, maybe there are Ewoks and there are um, Duloks that uh, there's a very complex tribal situation going on there. And uh, we're sort of getting into something that we don't quite fully understand. Um, yeah, life wow. is simpler in third grade. Do they know it's pain. Christmas on Endor? <laughs> uh, they don't. They have uh, you know, a special Ewok Harvest Moon celebration. They don't celebrate Christmas on Endor. So uh, my fourth grade teacher's name was Jeanette. And, of course, I went to a hippie school where we called our teachers by their first names from kindergarten. So, And, in fact, I went to a high school like that. So I, I did not address a, uh, an instructor as, you know, Mr. or Ms. So-and-so uh, until college, at which point it was Professor So-and-so. Um, the... Uh, uh, the interesting thing about Jeanette was that she was a, a sort of a big hippie, uh, even among the big hippies at my school. Uh, and she, um, n- not big in, in stature. She was, she was sort of a gaunt woman. Uh, she was English and, uh, she changed her name, um, Actually, uh, frequently. So uh, some of some of the other, the classes that came up behind me would not know her as Jeanette. They'd know her as whatever she changed her name to. And if they referred to their fourth grade teacher, I might not recognize her, even though it was the same person. But the interesting thing about Jeanette was that uh, in her pedagogical plan for the fourth grade, instead of doing an extended uh, unit on Egypt, um, what we did was something called the Island Project, which was a uh, a very long sort of multi-month um, sort of research and creative project that also involved a sort of role-playing. Um, the idea was that our, as a social studies curriculum, we were going to learn about, uh, uh, or maybe as a kind of science fiction writing curriculum and world-building and whatnot, we were going to learn uh, about these subjects by uh, imagining, by sort of taking up the imaginative scenario that we had all been uh, on a cruise, the 26 of us in my fourth grade class, uh, together, that we were shipwrecked somewhere, uh, that we all washed up on an island, and that we had to begin a civilization using only the things that we found uh, on the island uh, together. And so there were... um, 
committees, you know, that were formed for uh, the scavenging of food and for agriculture and uh, for, you know, uh, ruling the island or governing, I should say, rather than ruling because it's, you know, uh, it was probably more like that with the kind of deep inborn sense of fairness that that fourth graders have. Um, I was on the recreation committee and... uh, so we, you know, I don't know, made up songs. Nothing as catchy as the Yub Nub song uh, of the Ewoks, I guess. But, uh, you know, we, we made up songs and, and tried to have, like, events and talent shows and things like this to entertain. Though I don't know how we had a talent show without uh, a boombox to lip sync to. Maybe someone recovered uh, a guitar from the wreckage of the, of the ship. And so we, uh, we created um, the, the island together of Volcanoco, which was the name that... that that we voted on and gave to our uh, imaginary utopian society somewhere in the South Pacific uh, is where it happened to be. And, uh, and we lived on uh, years and years uh, and were never rescued uh, from, the, from the island, uh, but lived long, uh, happy lives there. And uh, I think they made a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical about us or something like that. That's what I did in fourth grade. It's, that's out of the ordinary, isn't it? Uh, yes, I will go with yes. That is very much out of the ordinary. And it goes with when I was where I attended elementary school in Alabama. No such utopian societies were really allowed. Um, things would have gotten dark and gritty and all, um, you know, uh, Hob- Hobbesian pretty quick. I suppose. Don't yeah. mind me. I'm just on an Egypt parade. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Gosh, I, I, I have a number of of. Uh, of stories from uh, from elementary school that are a little out of the ordinary, uh, like the day we did the racism exercise. When you came to elementary school that day, school wide, everyone was assigned a color, like purple, orange, red, green, something like that. But these corresponded to a uh, like a ruling class, a servant class, and uh, things like this, and. Um, and uh, only only the purples, I remember, the, the small number of purples who were the, the ruling privileged class uh, got to play on the playground for that day. And uh, so we lived as this sort of very stratified, um, uh, you know, very segregated uh, society for the day where, you know, any green had to let an orange go to the bathroom first and, and every red had to open the door for a purple when they walked past and things like this. It was extraordinarily traumatizing at the time because I don't think we were quite old enough to understand it for the, the teaching tool uh, it was. Um, wow. Yeah. Matt, would or, or you just like lob that up like, you know, for me to to make a joke about my upbringing in Alabama in <laughs> elementary school? Like, I'm not even, even going to go there. <laughs> I'll just let the audience go there themselves in the line. Um, Let's just say for some, this was no exercise. Yeah, this well, was sure. a real thing. Absolutely, and and you had to you had to to sort of live with it every day. I, I'm not sure that sort of artificially imposing it, uh, uh, it, you know, I don't know, is the best method of consciousness raising about the the actual real problems. In fact, I think it might be slightly trivializing for the uh, the actual uh, discrimination that real people face uh, on a daily basis. Perhaps, yes. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you can write one hell of a letter to my elementary school, Mark, if you want to, and I will co-sign it for sure. Oh, thanks, Matt. I'll, go, uh, I'll get right on that. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know what else is a uh, is a, a uh, tense uh, multi-ethnic society? The moon of Endor. <laughs> in fact there are a number of of tribes and uh species and uh you know factions that uh coexist uh in in some disharmony on the moon of endor as well as an invading force uh from the evil empire so uh we're going to take a, a short break be back with zach giolongo uh who wrote and illustrated shadows of endor a star wars ewoks comic uh, and talk with him about that. We'll be right back. Welcome back. And we have here Zach Gilongo uh, with us. He is the illustrator of Shadows of Endor, uh, a Star Wars Ewoks comic. Zach, welcome to the Overthinking It podcast. Writer 
and illustrator. Illustrator and writer. Yes, story, <laughs> uh, story and art credit on the book. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. The book is, is on shelves now. Uh, we've all read it. It's awesome. Awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. So, Zach, you're, you've uh, you've uh, you studied illustration in in uh, college, but then had a as as we all have had. You had a uh, uh, long odyssey through a, a number of jobs, including video store clerk and art gallery security guard. <laughs> Did you feel like yeah. you were guarding more precious artifacts as a video store clerk or as an art gallery security guard? Uh, I felt like it was more difficult as a video store clerk because you had to guard the videos from, you know, because we had a pretty healthy adult section. Oh, dear. And so you had to kind of guard that from, from you know, certain people. <laughs> if I can, I mean, if I can ask, were you a, a chain, I guess not with an adult, it wouldn't have been a blockbuster with an adult section, but were you a, a chain video store clerk or was it an independent video store, uh, perhaps in, in Massachusetts where you went to school? This this was uh, a mom and pop. Wow. This was like when I was in high school. You're having oh, me dig back here. Sorry. Yeah. Wow. Oh, no, we no, have no, a thing no. with video stories. We <laughs> <No. have laughs> yeah. We're really hitting, the, hitting yeah. the heart of the topic at hand. Right in the square. Right in the bullseye. <laughs> Wait, you wanted, someone wants to talk about Ewoks and Star Wars? <laughs> so let's talk about what you did in high school for, for a little while for money. I didn't know. I, I got a bio. I, I'm interested in the things I'm interested in, Pete. I, you know? but, uh, no, I, we, can, we can talk about video store stuff. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm but, imagining he looks just like Randall from Clerks, by the way. <laughs> Uh, well, so um, uh, you would be disappointed. <laughs> uh, so you wrote and drew uh, shadows, shadows of Endor, uh, in which the uh, yeah the Ewoks have to uh, deal not only with um, the the international relations on the moon of Endor, but also with uh, with threats from uh, the world outside, uh, powerful powerful foes both from the planet and from off the uh, rather the moon uh, and off the moon um how did you how did you get hooked up with this gig it's it's such a, a fascinating job to get so uh i had put a i had done a drawing of a lineup of ewoks and i had put that online uh with uh, onto my tumblr and it got sort of passed around and and reblogged more than i thought it would and eventually it somehow got to the attention of the editors at dark horse and they contacted me and said, you know, hey, if you were to do a project, if you were to do an Ewok comic, what would you do? And I told them some of my ideas and we set up some meetings and they looked at some of my previous work. And after that, um, decided to move forward on it. So that's what awesome. It? That's like the, this is the comics equivalent of like singing uh, by myself in, in my bedroom to YouTube and then being picked up by, uh, you know, by, by a major record label or something like that. Right. Yes, except um, like one of the things I actually just I actually just talked to um, some I, I did a talk um, with some college kids and I told that story and I said, but the thing is, is like I still had to back it up with right, you know uh, my previous work that I could do a comic. So it's not necessarily like I was discovered that way, um, but it was it was a way to break the ice and then be able to set up that meeting and have that talk. So what drew you so to you the had Ewoks? History oh. as, yeah, go ahead. Uh, what, go ahead drew, what drew you to the Ewoks? What was the, what was the thing? I mean, because unbidden, right? It's it's not like you got a commission to do it. You naturally posted on your your Tumblr. So what was the thing that uh, that really just uh, stuck with you about the Ewoks that you wanted to see a book about them? I always loved them as a kid, and I mean, growing up. <laughs> You know, they, I mean, they were actually my favorite part of of Star Wars. I was born in '79, so by the time Return of the Jedi came out, I was square in that demographic for for Ewoks. And you know, the the movies, the the Ewok movies had come out, and the cartoon was on TV, and I just um, I loved them as a kid. And I think for two reasons: one was they're the only. Um, like alien civilization in star Wars that you actually see like in like that you see their civilization, you know, mm. all the other aliens are just sort of, they're hanging out in the cantina or, you know, they're kind of wandering around. You don't actually get to see another kind of foreign world like that. But the Ewoks were the most, um, I think fleshed out 
of of all of those sort of alien creatures. So there was already a lot to latch on to. Um, and then I was able to just sort of like hang out and run around in my woods and, uh, you know, pretend that I was an Ewok. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, you know, when, when you said that, it made me think of, there, there's an episode of I Met Your Mother where the Neil Patrick Harris character, um, his, uh, his girlfriend mentions to him, the, da- the girl he's dating now, mentions that she really loves Ewoks, um, at which point he... Sorry, no, no, I'm sorry. She mentions that, that she, she hates Ewoks, and he's, he immediately is like, well, I have to break up with her. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, why do you have to break up with her? And he's like, because of the Ewok line. The Ewok line is that anyone who was born uh, after May 25th, 1973... Will love Ewoks because those people were under ten years old when they were exposed to the Ewoks and associated them with teddy bears, which they loved because they were still a kid. But anyone born before May twenty fifth, nineteen seventy three, will find the Ewoks is you know will be annoyed by them and 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 sort of a scoff and turn up their nose at them. So um, it is you know I was born in nineteen eighty and I definitely grew up loving the Ewoks. They do seem to be a polarizing part of the Star Wars universe. I'm sort of interested to find out, though, was there backlash against the Ewoks in 1983? Because I feel like a lot of that sort of came later. Like, as I became a teenager and as, like, Kevin Smith movies were coming out and things like that, then all of a sudden it was sort of like, wait, there are people that don't like Ewoks? You know, and I feel like part of it was someone at some point made a joke about how ridiculous the Ewoks were. And then everybody jumps on. It's like, yeah, that's right. And, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I have wondered how much the internet sort of magnifies these things that weren't, I sort of wonder this along the same ways of like Admiral Akbar's uh, famous uh, realization that is, it is a trap. I don't know if it was like when he says that in the movie, if it was instantly that much of a sort of like it made it made so much yeah, of impression on us at the time, but just gradually over the years it becomes such a such a touchstone, and and yeah, like and the same thing with the, the sort of the cutesiness of the Ewoks and and whether that's a good thing or whether that sort of like ruins what should be like you know more of a a somber, grim, you know more uh, more um, Empire Strikes Back tone. Well, you know, there's been a lot of videos and and things coming out now that I think kind of express it perfectly when people talk about how cute the Ewoks are and how they sort of, for some people, that, you know, is what kind of ruined Jedi for them or whatever. But if you go back, like, Star Wars is full of cute stuff. There's so much cute and dumb stuff in the entire trilogy. You know, like, why are you why are you latching on to just that one thing? Or oh, yeah, is there in the original trilogy? <laughs> yeah. What's that? The really, the really like bleak monologues by R two D two about the state of the human condition, right? Or like my favorite part of Star Wars, <laughs> 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 like where he's just like darkness all around me, bleep bleep bleep. You know, everything's like, full of sand, full of yeah. sand. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I mean, here's here's how I always felt about the Ewoks: is that you look at you look at let's say Jar Jar because I, I definitely like to, to to put the Ewoks to Jar Jar sort of juxtapose them and find similarities and differences. Jar Jar, let's put aside the way he looks. He acts. He does a lot of silly things. He's always falling down. He's always like you know tripping and you know he's he says silly things. He does. He's he's treated comic relief by the movie. The Ewoks, if you put aside the way they look. There is nothing silly about what the Ewoks do. The Ewoks successfully uh, catch everybody in a trap, uh, almost eat them. Uh, they, you know, they have this, this, uh, you know, take a speeder bike and escape. Like the Ewoks are extremely competent, and and they're not. I don't feel like they're played for comic relief at any points. Uh, I mean, like you, you guys could argue with me on this. It's like if you replace the Ewoks with like a different character design, if you replace them with like the Navi. You know, from from Avatar, I don't think you really have to change the script that much. Like, but I think the discourse like was anything. it was less around it was less around cutesiness and more about commercialization. I mean, and I I seem to recall accounts of of uh, a conversation that that even happened contemporary with Jedi that was about. Um, the Ewoks being mostly about merchandising and only secondarily about about storytelling, and that being the complaint, rather than you know, rather than oh, this isn't gritty enough to be Star Trek. I mean, I think I think that the discourse of Star, grittiness, Star Wars, a Star Wars, Star Wars, oh, Wars. for 
Wow, I'm gonna hang on, up. And, I'm, gonna ha- I'm gonna hang <laughs> up and go on another podcast now. But it was about, I feel like but, the, you know, I think that I think that's partially true because you know, as we know, there really wasn't very much Star Wars merchandise before Return of the Jedi. Right. That was sarcasm. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I I agree that like anyone complaining that that a part of Star like that part of Star Wars is selling out. Is, right. Like, yeah. The the whole thing is so over merchandise, and 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 the fact is like the Ewoks. If anything, like the Ewoks potentially play like too large a role in the story. It's not like the Ewoks are tacked on and have no role in the narrative, and they're just there because they're a good toy. The Ewoks uh, basically decide the fate of the Rebellion. Yeah, but that it's... The, the, the Rebels would be done for if it weren't for the Ewoks. Well, I, I, yeah, just to play just to play devil's advocate, the uh, you know, it seems like but where does it start, right? Like, like toy lightsabers start in the story, and then it's what in the story can we make, can we make toys of? You know, uh, Ewoks you know, I don't know, like like uh, Tribbles from the other episode. No, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't even make another Star <laughs> Star Trek. Well, joke. okay, so yeah. we should acknowledge that Which the Ewoks were originally supposed guys. to be Wookies, right? Like the Ewoks, Wookie is Ewok backwards, sort of, not backwards, but with the syllables reversed, right? So it was originally in the story supposed to be Wookies. Lucas turned the Wookies into the Ewoks to make them cutesier, to make them better for merchandising, right? I just want to acknowledge this because it was said, like, what if the Ewoks were a different race? They were originally supposed to be, at least according to the lore that I have kicking around in my brain. Right? Well, like, the uh, reason that the, and, and the reason that he, he decided not to use Wookiees was because even in the original Star Wars, A New Hope, he had established that Chewbacca knew technology. He knew how to fly a ship. He knew how to fix things. He knew how to use technology. And he wanted uh, a species that was very low tech. So that's why he couldn't use, that's why he decided that he couldn't use Wookiees. Good point. Okay, actually, this brings up something I'd love to ask about your perception of Ewoks, because it is very different. We talked a little bit about how the Ewoks, I mean, Matt turned on by saying the, Ewok, the Ewoks are pretty smart and competent, but the Ewoks have that sort of classic colonialist thing going on where strange technology appears to them as like divinity, right? They think C-3PO is a god because he's this strange visitor, a golden visitor from another world. Um, and so the Ewoks have a sort of noble savage aspect to them, which is like kind of a little bit racist, right? And like kind of, well, kind of a lot colonialist and whatnot. And I noticed in your book, that's not, I mean, they, they do reference the golden one of their, of their religious faith and they make it a pretty specific sort of dedication, but the Ewoks talk and act like sophisticated adults, Right, like they they speak in a presumably transliterated English or translated English, right? That is that is pretty complex grammatically, uh, you know. That that and they feel like they are fully formed human characters, even though they look like teddy bears. Which I feel like in certain aspects of the way they communicate in the movie is not the case. You sort of stepped them up. I mean, did you confront this sort of uh, Richard Kipling issue with the Ewoks when you were coming up with uh, with how to formulate these characters? <laughs> Take up the white plastic um, man's burden. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not really, because um, I think right. It, it, I sort of approach it as you're reading it translated, and so you're 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 hearing their dialogue in your you know, in your mind the way that they're hearing each other. Um, whereas in Return of the Jedi, when they are encountering human beings and they're encountering, um, you know, a Wookiee and droids and things like that. Um, there are like there's a language barrier there's a culture barrier which didn't exist in the book that i got to write um and i mean and i and i sort of reference that a little bit where um you know this isn't much of a spoiler but when they sort of when the characters actually view uh the empire and uh you know they're they're up in the tree and they're looking down at sort of the the deflector where they're building the bunker and there's some dialogue between some stormtroopers and some officers and things like that and the ewoks are like do you know can you know what they're saying what's going on and everyone's like no i have i have no idea what what they're talking about um and that's just a reference to not what the imperials are referencing but just the actual language that they're using huh yeah now reading reading the book 
it, I'm, I'm guessing that somewhere, if you, if you go into the room that you grew up in in Massachusetts, there's a battered VHS tape that has uh, the Ewok adventure and the battle for Endor. Very, very worn out and much loved. Is a good <laughs> statement. Uh-huh. Yes. Those, yeah, those are good movies. Right, and, and what jumped out at me, and here's the thing, that, that for those of you who have not seen the two sort of made-for-TV, and now we'd call them direct-for-DVD, but of course that was not the case in the mid-'80s. They were made-for-TV. The movies, they, they introduced this new, this new sort of feeling to the, to the world of the Ewoks. It's not really in Return of the Jedi. We really, it's a fantasy world. Uh, that Star Wars is a world of technology, and and you know it has it has the Force, but in and certainly in the original, uh, sorry, in the the prequel trilogy, they they even attempt to make the Force almost like a technological phenomenon that can be sort of measured and quantified. Oh, let's but not talk Ewoks about that experience, really, dear God. Yeah. But I mean, the, the Ewoks really live in any world with magical forces. Um, that that one always stuck with me about the scene from the original um, the Ewok adventure is there's a scene where, where a human character uh, who's traveling with the Ewoks the basic plot of the movie is that there's a family that sort of crash landed a Swiss family Robinson style on the moon of Endor uh, and there's a there's a big scary monster uh, that takes away the parents and that the kids are sort of stranded in the uh, in the forest meet up with the Ewoks and the Ewoks sort of agree to go with them on sort of an epic quest to get their parents back and at one point one of the kids tumbles into a lake a body of water and finds that he cannot break the surface again that there is a magical barrier that's keeping him stuck underwater and he's he's pounding on the water and can't get out again until one of the one of the ewoks they have they have a magic staff with them literally a, a magic staff I, I, I forgive me i do not remember the details of where the staff comes from but it is able to reach through the surface of the water and pull him out and that's the kind of that's the kind of stories that the that the Ewok adventure and the Battle for Endor are, where there there are legit magical forces, and there are these dangers that are only partially understood in the forest, um, you know. And and I mean, what what jumps on people think of the Ewoks is very cutesy, but like the the scene the scene to me that's like a very you know one one of the most uh, impactful parts of Return of the Jedi is where you know two. Are, are hit by like a laser beam and one of them sort of gets up groggily and goes to wake up the other one and the other one's dead and and he realizes and it's funny it's like you know death really isn't a very a present a big on-screen part of star wars you know that that like people don't even, even you know in a, in a case where alderaan is destroyed you don't really see princess leia crying about that you know they, they, they don't dwell on that but for this moment, one of the Ewoks has to, you know, you see that Ewok realize that his friend is dead. And to me, it's like, yeah, they look cutesy, but, like, their world is really dangerous and full of, like, a lot of kinds of death that are, that are, that are stalking you in the night. And, and that, to me, came out really well in the graphic novel. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, I mean, kind of back to what you were saying before. I mean, when Alderaan blew up, we didn't see any people from Alderaan, I mean, other than, uh, you know, Princess Leia. So, you know, you don't have any connection with those people. I mean, we don't even really know what the planet looks like. But when you see the Ewoks, you've seen, in, in Return of the Jedi, you've seen the Ewoks, you're familiar with them, you're familiar with their world, and all of a sudden, um, you know, one of them gets blown away. And I think that the whole that is to show, you know, War and fighting is awful, <laughs> and people die, including, you know, so what do you do? You take one of the fuzzy, cute characters, and you kill that one off, you know, to really drive that point home. Um, but also, back to what you are saying about the um, Ewok movies being more magical and fantasy-like, um, those movies were actually, I, I've been told, were actually a dry run for Willow. Which I think makes total sense. Oh, yeah. Doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. I mean, those movies feel very, very Willow-like. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think that that's... I think that that's what I like about them, too. I like the fantasy elements. I like that, it, you know, you can have sort of these magical items that need to be explained. Just like the Force. The Force doesn't need to be explained. It just is this... And that's that's enough. And at no point in any of the Star Wars expanded universe canon, expanded universe canon, is it suggested that the Ewoks' magic is connected to the Force? Like, it's just not. Uh, there's no evidence of that at all. It seems like, right? Um, 
not sure. I think it's, it's sort of in stone, but I think that it'd be some things that kind of hint that there are certain members of the galaxy that are kind of force sensitive. Um, but for them, you know, like that is part of their culture. Don't quote me on that. I don't know that that is absolutely the case, but I know that that theory is sort of out there. So speaking of it's, that, they're, they're kind of manipulating the force in their own way, not in the way that a Jedi would. Hmm. Um, so it, speaking uh, of uh, the, the, uh, the rules of the universe, what was your um, relationship like with the, the Star Wars industrial complex? I know you were working with Dark Horse primarily, but, but did you uh, have to communicate with Lucasfilm to talk about the, uh, the, the larger continuity and consistency with the world building around the other properties? Yeah, so basically what happens is... Um, you write your outline. If you're doing a, a Star Wars story, you write your outline, and that goes to Lucasfilm. And goes over it. And based on your outline, they tell you when it takes within the grand uh, timeline. They also will go through and let you know if there are any inconsistencies. Um, you know, if, if, if they come across a point where it's like, well, you can't use this character because this character you know, wouldn't be on this planet at this time because we already have this story from 12 years ago where the care, you know, all that kind of stuff. But by and large, that's, that's kind of all they do. They're really just making sure that it fits within their continuity. They're not making any editorial, um, you know, big editorial decisions or anything like that, which is nice. Hmm. Can, can, can I ask so- a continuity question? Uh, yeah. About Ewoks. So in this, in your book, um, Ewok is kind of a two-part term, right? It's like the E variant of walk, right? And there are other walks that live on the planet. The Luwaks, I believe, are one of the other races. Oh, the uh, Duwaks. And the Duwaks. The uh, Duwaks, yeah. Uh, the Duwaks, okay. So there's is – that, is that something that pre-exists your yeah. book? Okay, okay. So there is this this uh, history. I don't remember. I saw the Battle of Endor years and years ago, but I don't remember it. So there is sort of are they are they different species? Are they different tribes? Yeah, the Dulocs are a completely different species. That uh, they were the main rivals and enemies in the Ewok cartoon uh, oh. series, and they also appeared in a couple of children's books um, that were done around the time that that Jedi was coming out. So they've actually, even though they're not in the movies and they're not as well known, I, I mean, I think they were pretty much created at the same time uh, that the Ewoks were. Oh. Um, yeah, as far as I know, they're a completely different species. They just share, you know, share the planet, and they, um, you know, they act as the the villains to the courageous and good-hearted Ewoks. Mm. And also, I have to ask, since you used the term Force-sensitive, did you play the Decipher Star Wars customizable card game by any chance? I actually did not, but I, okay. I know some of it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the term has gameplay implications, people, so I was right. curious. I was like, I know that word. All right. I actually am looking at my cardboard box of those yeah. cards right now, which is sitting in my closet, which is not closed. The door is open. So. <laughs> but anyway, so, I'll leave you guys so- to talk about the rest of the stuff. So. Yeah, so I'm curious. So you get this invitation, or at least a chance, to sort of play in the sandbox, to to pitch an Ewok story, and and potentially get it made, and 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 you know add edifice that is the sort of Star Wars universe. So why why this story? Like like what what about this story made this the 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 tale of the Ewoks that you wanted to tell? I knew I wanted to tell a story that was close to Return of the Jedi because I was always sort of curious about what was going on on Endor just before the Rebels actually showed up. So I knew that that was my time period. I knew that that was my setting. Um, And I think, in a way, I also wanted to show the way I saw the Ewoks, which is to say not as sort of cute, bumbling, you know, adorable creatures, but as little forest savages, um, you know, kind of running around. And so I knew I wanted to do a story that had some considerable danger in it as well. Um, and then I knew, too, that I wanted to put 
pull in elements from Jedi and from the animated series and also from uh, the two Ewok movies um, to kind of try to make a more cohesive Ewok uh, timeline and world because the Ewoks and all of those iterations, um, there are inconsistencies with, with some of the characters and things like that. So I kind of wanted to see if I could smooth that out a little bit or, or sort of, you know, kind of explain some of that as best I could. Yeah, I'm just really fascinated by all this Ewok world building that has been going on for all this time. Uh, I mean, I, I'm like more, I have varying degrees of familiarity with different parts of the Star Wars expanded universe, but um, to have heard all of this, you know, uh, rich, uh, you know, uh, tradition from which to draw, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by this, and I really tip my hat to you for <laughs> for bringing all this together. Um, but uh, to take this in a little bit different direction, I wanted to ask you, like, what other species in uh, races in the star wars universe are ripe for this sort of expanded world building like uh you know uh, well for all i know are there like tuscan raider graphic novels already out there that explore uh the the motivations and and cultural intricacies of the tuscan raiders like uh what what else is there to to flesh out in, in the star wars expanded universe you know i'm not really sure and i don't you know obviously i haven't seen or read everything that's out there but i think you know, we sort of talked about earlier how, you know, we see the Ewok civilization and we see, um, you know, them living in their own, uh, you know, their own planet and their own world and that kind of thing. Um, but we don't really see other alien species that way. And I think as far as I know, uh, I, you know, I think that's true of the expanded universe. You know, I don't know that there's a graphic novel about you know, huts on their home world, you know, acting as, as huts. I think that they're always sort like of the oh godfather gosh. of like, you know, how, how the huts rose to, that would be great. But yeah, like, planet of huts. Yeah. Like, like somebody that's more powerful than Java. Like this totally fascinates me. That would be pretty amazing. <laughs> you know what I want to see a graphic novel about is the Java band with the blue elephant playing keyboards and everything. Because what I imagine is like, they, they perform all over. They just go where the where the money is, you know. And they're playing a they're playing a stint at Java's palace, and then they're going to go back to the Mos Eisley Cantina for a while. And I just I, w- I want to see a, a series of comic books about their many travels and all the gigs that they play at the sort of like <laughs> B level arenas throughout the galaxy. But what it's like to be a rock star a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. What it was like when Lopty Nick just topped the galactic charts, and <laughs> they were really on their way. That, I want to see. I want to see the song that was cut from Return of the Jedi while we're talking. <laughs> about um i think this this might be leading to uh, another subtopic within the uh the, the ewok universe right oh yeah, yeah. no we got we got to get into this it, it's the it's time for the big the big topic the big central thing we're all thinking about and talking about all day every day for our entire lives okay the the yub wub song i want to talk about the yub wub song yub nub song i always called it the jub jub song i didn't know it was the yub nub song Gosh, when that's I, almost as bad as, as matt calling this is, I mean, talking about star trek on this podcast <laughs> no my mine was worse <laughs> so yeah yeah i mean nothing will be as bad as that but i mean as our as the biggest ewok fan on the podcast blinks do you want to talk about the yub nub song a little bit and sort of pose the question to our guest as to how to discuss it Here's here's the thing that, that I was telling I have an eight year old son and I was very excited that I was gonna talk to you uh because you are an Ewok expert and I love you. He loves Ewoks as well. You know, he's he was exposed to the Ewoks as a young age. So the, his his two favorite uh Star Wars movies because he has he has good taste are are six and two, which I think are respectable choices. I think they're they're worse they're worse movies to choose. As long as mm-hmm. they're in there it's fine he can continue to to be in my will um and then i mentioned that i really was excited to try to 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 perhaps uh to talk about and perhaps even sing the yub dub song and he looked at me blankly and it took me a while to figure out that he does not know the yub dub song because no version of the star wars trilogy currently available um that that he would have possibly been exposed to during his lifetime includes the song that it was it was in the special edition in 1997, and has basically been flushed down the the memory hole. Um, so, at the very least, can, can we all agree that it's, it's a complete injustice that the Yub Dub song is no longer the 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 end of the 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 the, the cherry on top of the Star Wars trilogy? 
I am totally okay with that. What? <laughs> Whoa. Wow. This is not what I expected. Tell us more. Tell us more about this controversial opinion. This might be the most controversial opinion ever voiced on the Overthinking <laughs> podcast. Um, I think that the Return of the Jedi special edition ending is superior. Go to on. The, to the original. Go yeah. on. Go on. Keep going. I'll hear this out. Um, I... <laughs> I have to admit that I mean the 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 Yubnub song. It, it I don't think is an appropriate um, way to end. You know this three movie epic journey that we've been on. Um, I mean the thing with the special edition is there's hints of it. There's still sort of an Ewok chorus in the background. There's still Ewokies being spoken sort of you know you have kind of like the little ewok voices and stuff but i think that it's a lot more moving and it's a lot more it, it is serious but also hopeful whereas the yub nub song is kind of just really i don't disagree with anything you've said the ewok song is completely silly and and if you if if Return of the Jedi didn't exist, and you offered me two versions, one with, one with the Yub Nub song and one without, and you asked me, like, which one was a more impactful ending to my epic trilogy, um, I would have no hesitation in saying that the Yub Nub song is ridiculous, but it's <laughs> it's my ridiculous song. <laughs> and this, this may be a bit of a... Gen- see, you are, you are six months older than me, so this may be a generational thing. Um, <laughs> I feel like I grew up, to me, at the Star Wars trilogy isn't over until the Yum Yum song is sung, and and it's sort of like it, it feels it feels wrong. It feels it feels to me it's like it's sort of like it's sort of the way like Old Lang Syne. We don't know what it means, but we still sing it in Midnight. Yeah, we absolutely mm-hmm. do know what it means, by the way. But continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know what it means. It's in it's in Middle English. It's like from Chaucer, and then. <laughs> Uh, it's good, like, good. It has like one, two words in it that are sort of Scottish, I believe. <laughs> the rest of it. <laughs> but I see your point. I definitely see your point. Um, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I guess uh, one thing that always struck me about the Yub Nub song is how they play the music on the helmets of the dead Imperial soldiers. Oh, hey, yeah. they still do that in the special edition version. Oh, so they keep that. So that's okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, but the uh, but the the native tongue of the Ewoks. Um, I mean, I guess to think about it from more of a syntactical standpoint, you know, what is the if, if we if we push aside the silliness factor for just a second and think about what is the difference in the meaning to the Star Wars trilogy and the Star Wars series in general of movies if it ends with a giant epic transplanetary celebration versus it ends with sort of a rather intimate celebration in a tree forest or a tree forest in a uh, in a treetop village, yeah. right? Because um, the Ewoks are also kind of luddite; they're pro magic, but they're also kind of not just non-technological, but I feel like in the relationship with the audience, they're anti-technological, right? Because they're nice. You know, it's, it's like, even though they are brutal and they're potentially cannibalistic and, you know, they do all these, you know, they're violent and they're martial, uh, they're presented to the audience as a far superior and kinder and gentler alternative to the Imperial Stormtroopers. Um, and, and in that sense, sort of strike an anti-technological tone. Um, and I well, wonder. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's a coincidence that the original one they blow up the Death Star, which is this this ultimate uh, expression of technology taken to the nth degree, and then they return to their tree fort in their Earth tone in their green Earth tones to have you know their their organic to eat on and do it. Um, that Zach, Zach could probably detail the diet better than I can. But it, it is sort of like a bad... I mean, they're, they're a bunch of hippies at the end. And, and the, the song, to me, even though it was 1983 that it was released, the Yub Nub song sounds very 70s. It sounds like it could have been out of hair. Um, mm. You know? And, and indeed, like, the, the translation, the, the English translation, the official English translation is very sort of new-agey. I'm going to quote something. Get the power, celebrate the glory, celebrate the love. So it's basically gospel... Right, um, it's the age of Aquarius is what you're saying. Yeah, it basically is like we've we've destroyed the Death Star. The Death Star is no longer in the seventh sign, and so it's the age of Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but and and so right, and so putting aside the Yum Nub song, which which I will I will allow you to do temporarily, but. <laughs> 
will be sung one way or another by the time this podcast ends. Um, yeah, I do. I do think that showing the shots of the celebration around the galaxy and returning it to Coruscant um, does something different. It it it, it changes the ending uh, a little. Yeah, it's it's one of the questions I think that's raised by the the prequels, and I, I don't want to take the focus away from our guests, and I'm curious what Zach thinks about this too. One of the things that's raised around, uh, when once the prequels are in the picture, then the state of the Empire's existence starts seeming like kind of a temporary setback. Right? Like, it's, it's a thing that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And there's an existent way of life that goes across the galaxy that predates the Empire by thousands of years. Then you have this intervening Empire thing, which lasts for like 20 years tops. Right? And then, and then it's over. And then you're sort of back to the way that people normally live. Whereas when Star Wars existed without the prequels, it seemed to me like there was this idea that the Empire was this huge deal that was everyone who was sort of resigned to it being the way that things would always be. Right. right, and, and Luke, uh, in Luke, the first movie, Luke is just like, I'm going to go to the Imperial Academy, as if like, you yeah. know, like that's just the thing to do because that's what cool kids go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't I know. know. I think that that is, or you know, kind of even when, um, you know, even when Han Solo is sort of poo-pooing like Jedi in the Force, like as kind of not exi- not existing, and it's like, dude, there were tons of Jedi running around when you were like a teenager. Like now, <laughs> you don't believe in them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that always is a little bit of a, of a gap between the, the events, the sequence of events in Star Wars and sort of the cultural discourse of the Star Wars people. Although it's not impossible for me to believe that's the way it would actually work out, right? Like if cell phones were to be banned today, like in 20 years, people would doubt they ever existed, right? Like in the, or like, you know, there are people who doubt that the moon landing is real, like actually. Although I'm not suggesting that like Han Solo is like, you know, a birther. You know, he's like, he's like you know, the, the Jedi were an inside job. They never really existed. You know, they were in conspiracy between the, the Alderanian bankers and the, uh, and the Imperial military contractors. But no, no, it's, Show uh, me the midi-chlorian so certificate. Exactly, exactly. We, I often go back to this idea that the people of, of the Star Wars universe are sort of crazed fringe political people because they seem to take such drastic action in relative to their circumstances, at least in the original trilogy. Yeah, um, I hey, can I ask, Zach? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> No, I, I was just going to say that I, I find it fascinating when you get from Ewan McGregor at the end of episode three to Alec Guinness at the beginning of episode four. It's like there's like 20 years there, but man, desert living must be harsh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Zach, did you have any qualms about naming one of your protagonists Tebow? No, yes, I, I, I didn't even make that Tebow. up. You, oh, you, that already, the character already existed. There's a pre-existing Tebow? Yeah. I didn't, Is it I, possible that, that the Tebow that we know was named after that Tebow? Because the timing of that work? I'm pretty sure that Tim Tebow was born after the Battle for Endor came out, right? Like, <laughs> oh, wait, wait, Zach, where is Tebow from? Where is Tebow from? The Tebow the Ewok. Uh, I mean, there's an original vintage Kenner Ewok toy called Tebow. I mean, he was he was named in in um, she, in the right? movie Tim technically. Um, Tim Tebow born in August 1987. Oh wow! So, so it's not even, named, so it's definitely his parents you know, this, are giant Star Wars nerds. This just leads more credence to you know I wanted to draw this picture of Tebow the Ewok, kind of like you know doing the whole down on one knee, the whole thing, and just put like the original Tebow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally, you should still do it. I feel like the night is young. Like I feel like you still have time. Um, <laughs> Although Tebow is that joke. One of these. It is funny that of the two, Tebow the Ewok will be a viable joke for a much longer period of time than Tebow the football player. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Um, but yeah, um, all of the all of the Ewoks in Shadows of Endor: uh, Tebow, Paplu, Wicket, Nisa, Latara. Low gray chirpa. Those are all. Those were all named characters that all existed. In fact, the only two characters uh, that I named that I invented for the book are uh, the Duloc Aglock, who they meet, the one that has just like one arm, and mm-hmm. then uh, Zorani, the little Wisty that they, the little Tinkerbell that they meet. But everyone else has has a history and 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 has appeared before. And you know, um, 
the you know the comic book writer Paul Dini, who also did you know Batman the animated series and all that. He was one of the original writers on the uh, Ewok animated series. So really, I mean, like he created a lot of these characters too. Wow. So I'm curious. You, you've obviously taken pains to to reuse as much of the existing Ewok mythology as you can. What are the things that you've invented for this book that that you consider the most significant uh, additions to the sort of Ewok canon? Uh, well, I think that the monster, the Griog, was also something that I uh, came up with out of whole cloth. That didn't have any um, prior incarnation. That that was that was me and probably the lore surrounding that. Um, you know, I also, th- there was sort of, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was hinted at in the, um, uh, some of the expanded universe kind of stuff. And, um, for example, uh, the witch Charal, who is in one of the Ewok movies, there was sort of hinted that she was a witch of Dathomir, so I made that in this story, like she comes right out and says it, that she's a witch of Dathomir, which is another expanded universe kind of thing. Um, so I really just kind of wanted to take a lot of that stuff that it was sort of hinted at and actually just put it right in the book and say, nope, this is, this is it. This is canon. This is how it, this is how it goes. Mm-hmm. You, came, you came to fulfill the law. Not to abolish the law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, from the other Ewok properties, are there Ewoks throughout Endor, or are they pretty much this one village? I think, I mean, I'm not sure, but I, I think there are some things that um, do hint and and say that there are other villages, that there are other groups of Ewoks uh, kind of scattered about. Um, I think that Bright Tree Village is sort of the the main one. Got it. Nice. Uh, so there are other Ewok stories to tell. Sure. Hmm. I would love to see what the Ewoks on the other side of the moon are like. Maybe they're all really dark and nasty. I don't know. <laughs> are they the gritty for the gritty Ewok reboot? You're going right. to go to like the the forgotten Ewok continent. Um, you should tell the story of a bunch of Ewok teenagers who rob semi-trucks on the highlight highways of Walk, Walk Angeles and about an undercover Ewok cop who has to try to infiltrate their group of illegal street racers. <laughs> the, the Walk and the... What would it be? The Walk the and the Furious? Or, yeah, the Yub and the Nubbius. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to do a story about uh, Ewoks taking a a fallen ATST walker and and turning it into a hotel for Ewoks. Ooh, <laughs> like they all just is live that, in is that like a resort? <laughs> that, is that like an original idea? I, I don't rem- I don't think of I can't think of any movie that's like that. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's original. You heard it here first. <laughs> hotel hotel for Ewoks. Exclusive oh, news on Star Wars Episode Seven. Most of the teen walk sex comedy. will take place in a, a ATST hotel on Endor. <laughs> yes, <laughs> excellent. Um, well, I, I think we should probably leave it there. Uh, so, uh, Shadows Vendor will be uh, uh, available and in, is available uh, on comic shelves and on Amazon, and uh, either is or will be available in other outlets very soon. There's a link to it uh, in the show notes, though, so you can go right to our. Uh, uh, right to our show notes and get uh, a copy. The first of, of what I hope will be many. Uh, Star the fans Wars. have to demand it. Yeah, absolutely. So go, you know, go demand. You know, raise your your fist to Dark Horse and to Lucasfilm and say yeah. we want uh, we want more from Zach and we want more from the uh, we want more from the Star Wars Ewoks series. Zach Gialongo, lift thank- your spear, <laughs> lift your spear and say yub nub. <laughs> and uh, a big yub and nub. Not stretch for you to say that. Yeah, <laughs> a big uh, a big yub nub to you, Zach. Thanks for being on the Overthinking Podcast. Hey, thanks, guys. 
And that's also it for the Overthinking It podcast this week. You can uh, contribute to the show if you have anything that you want to say about goings-on uh, on the the moon of Endor. Or uh, if you want to, I don't know, post a YouTube video of your own rendition of Ewok Celebration, also known as the Yub Nub song. You'll find a, a, a link to it, by the way, in, in the show notes. Uh, you can email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com. You can call or text 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. Or you can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode. Next week, uh, you know, we never call our shot uh, before... Um uh, uh, before we do it, but next week we I, I'm calling it, we're going to talk about Ender's Game, uh, the film, and it will be the climactic conclusion as well to the Ender's Game book club uh, series of podcasts and forum posts that have been going on on Overthinking It. You can see the final one covering chapter 15 uh, and the whole book that will be released uh, this week on uh, uh, it's going to come out on Wednesday, October 30th. Uh, there is a new episode of Overthinking It Pop Fixers and very soon there will also be an Overthinking It Pop Fixers audio feed, so uh, check out the site uh, for that. Pete, um, uh, don't tell me who won, but did you have a fun time doing the, uh, the Gremlins episode of Pop Fixers? Oh, it was a blast. I, re- I really enjoyed it, and we got some pretty diverse opinions on how to handle the situation, so uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a real blast, and I hope, that, uh, I hope everyone checks out the special Halloween Gremlins episode. Spooky. <laughs> um, the, uh, hosted, by, hosted by Riddick himself. Uh, in the person of our our own Pete Fenzel. That's on YouTube right now uh, and on Overthinking It right now and will be available as an audio podcast with a, uh, a subscribable podcast feed uh, very soon. Gosh, is that that's enough to plug for now. That's a whole bunch of stuff going on uh, on the site right now. So we hope you uh, come check it out at Overthinking It where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably doesn't deserve. Wait, wait, wait. Who's singing? I'm ready to join <laughs> in. Yub nub. Uh- Oh, it's a pitchkey. Gnub fling. Oh, yeah. Oi, hey. Harvey, follow up. Koti, kuchatuya. Yabnub, kuchi, what? 